0: Um, is the 31st and uh, I have this habit. I like to start each message with a verse out of the uh, the book of Proverbs. There are 31 chapters. There are 31 days in any given month at the most. So I always pick one out of the date. So today being the 31st, I picked Proverbs 31 verse 8. Speak up for the people who cannot speak for themselves. Protect the rights of all who are helpless. Today is the um, the second in a two-part series on the topic of resurrection. And I believe that the resurrection of Jesus is the most important event that has ever happened in human history. And yet, I am also going to make a case today that, um, that, that the resurrection and Easter has nothing to do at all with religion. Nothing at all. It's actually a way bigger deal than that. And Easter is about the only time, um, that, understandably, that people ever talk about tombs. Right? Have you ever noticed that? You don't sit down at the cooler or at, at Starbucks, hey, let's talk about tombs. You will never see a $300,000 30 second ad of the Super Bowl about tombs. Just not going to see it. I thought about that. You know, the only tombs you ever hear on TV is like, you know, what do you want on your tombstone? Pepperoni, thank you. So there's, like I said, you know, there's not very many of us. You don't have television sets, do you? Yeah. But the pastor's got one, so we're good. Um, anyway, so I'm I'm thinking about this, and I get distracted. I'm in my study working on this message, and I can't. And I start start, start looking for pictures of tombs, and I got all kinds of interesting pictures that had to do with graveyards. <laughs> with that one and now this one kind of needs a little bit of an explanation my son Ben is a rabid Mariners fan and he has strong feelings about the Yankees he believes that this is the perfect idea we could just bury the entire team and put them underneath this tombstone and go ahead and do this with it right so but there's one other thing that I always think about when I think about cemeteries because there's something true of cemeteries everywhere Rachel are dying in there. yes thank you very much <laughs> In case you didn't hear that people are dying to get in there and there's this law of the universe daughters laugh at their father's stupid jokes and that one for us has been going back for years and years in fact we have a contest of we're driving past the cemetery hey rachel see that cemetery yeah dad people are dying to get in there so and, and so i'm looking at all these pictures thanks honey you can do whatever it is that you were going to do I, I, I want her to stay and, and and see if she would remember so i guess that's a stroke tally in your column but i'll catch up <laughs> Anyway, as I was looking at all these pictures, I found the coolest picture. And this is from the Holy Land. And it's really, really unusual to us, but not so unusual in the Holy Land. And you'll notice here, there are some tombs. And um, this is along a roadside. Now, this is obviously not one of the regular tourist stops in the Holy Land. You see no area there for tickets. There's no place for buses to pull over. There's no crowds there. There's no lines. It's just an authentic carved-out-of-the-rock tomb. And uh, it's amazing for a lot of reasons. Now, th- these are scattered around the countryside there, and yet here you see one with a big round stone ready to go in there. And you probably cannot see this from where you're sitting, but at the base of that big stone, there's an, actually a little trough, and it's the width of the stone, and it's downhill from where it's sitting now to the front of that door, that tomb that tomb entrance. And so to seal the tomb, they would simply roll that stone and it would go downhill and park in a little spot. that would <laughs> drop in and, 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 and would stay there. And so you can guess, I don't know how much a stone like that weighs. It's got to be you know, a couple of tons, thousands of pounds anyway. And uh, uh, yet, because of the design, very easy to seal a tomb. But because of the design, very, very difficult to open up. In fact... I think uh, for a tomb like that to open up, it would take a team of horses actually to pull it open. You also can 't see on this one there 's a metal band around it because as o- over the last hundreds and actually literally thousands of years, people have seen these big stones and thought oh that 's kind of cool. I can use that stone, and most of them have been stolen, so now the government puts bands around them metal bands, and they secure them so that they don 't walk off somehow and um, But you know, I saw this picture, and it did something for me besides the fact that it 's interesting you know it 's right there on the roadside. Not only is it interesting to look at, it kind of helped. I mean, it just just took my attention away from the story of Easter to the degree that sometimes Easter could kind of come across and and it sounds maybe like a fable or a fairy tale. But a picture like this shows this is how they actually buried people. There it is, weeds growing around it. You know, they didn't have a highway at the time that it was built, I'm sure. But it's this is how they buried people. This takes the story of Easter from, from maybe um, a little bit, it, it brings it into the, 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 the category of history. And, um, you know, I, I, it's a reminder for us that there's actually nothing religious about Easter. It's about something that actually happened. It's about an event. It's not a story about religion. And, 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 and at Easter time, we don't celebrate a teacher. We don't even celebrate his teachings. Do you know that? We don't celebrate religion. We don't celebrate a philosophy. And maybe this is new information to you. We celebrate an event that actually happened on the earth. We believe that a man literally decided to get out of the grave and walked out of a tomb. Which means that Easter is way better than religion. It goes way beyond religion. There's nothing really religious about Easter at all. Now, I want to lay a little bit of groundwork before we get into scripture today uh, on the topic of religion in general. If you took religion classes either in high school or, or college or even just a section one, you probably were taught that, that religion or r- world religions grew up in the gap that exists between the unexplainable and the undeni- undeniable. Something undeniable would happen. The seasons would change. That's undeniable. The weather would change. That's undeniable. But how come? Why did it happen? What made the seasons change? Unexplainable. The weather would come. The weather would go. go. Crops would grow. Crops would die. Locusts would come some seasons. Other seasons they didn't. We would have victory sometimes in battle. Other times we wouldn't. Why? What would make the difference? And these unexplained questions would happen and in the gap between what was undeniable and unexplainable religion was born because religion is an attempt to explain the unexplainable and then over time science would begin to dismantle some of the world religions you know so you mean to tell me that that lightning isn't zeus he's angry no, 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 no. You have these clouds and these charged particles and they get too many of the wrong kind up there and it has to blah, blah, blah explanation. Oh, so Zeus isn't mad at us? No, no, no. It's just a weather pattern. It's just really, really weather. weather. It's just a weather system and, and you don't have to worry. And science began to dismantle uh, religion because religion is an, a, an attempt to explain the unexplainable. Then we discovered germs. You mean to tell me she's not demon-possessed? No, she's got a germ. <laughs> So he's not under a curse. We don't have to go find a witch doctor to reverse a curse. No, 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 no. Give him some antibiotics and some water. Let him have some rest. In a couple of days, he's going to be fine. Oh, oh, okay. Religions are often born and fueled within that little gap between what's unexplainable and undeniable. Religion is an attempt to answer big, unanswerable questions sometimes, like, like this one What happens when we die? Great question a wonderful question and religion wants to try to answer that another one is why is there anything do you ever think about that if you have you're kind of you know weird like me because i think those kinds of things but religion tries to answer sorry did i just call you weird that's the way to make friends and influence people you insult them with a microphone (laughs) and big questions and those big unanswerable questions are really really fertile soil for religions to pop up and then the religions, they do pop up in that gap between questions and unanswered questions. Because, and there's a reason, and this is true of all people. It's true of me, it's true of you. It's been true of all people forever. And that's, here's what's true about us. We don't like the answer, nobody knows. Hmm, it's a mystery. We don't like that answer. If you go to the doctor and you've got an issue and the doctor looks you over and he goes, hmm, never seen that before, it's a mystery. You're not going home satisfied. You're going to go find another doctor. And you'll hunt and you'll look and you'll go to some, you you will keep going until somebody gives you an answer that's wearing a white coat. No fact that I got a white coat on today It has nothing to do with my example. But you'll keep going. And sometimes you'll come home and, you know, the next morning you're standing in front of a mirror, patting your head and hopping on one foot, humming. And your husband says, what are you doing? Well, the doctor said I should do this to fix it. I mean, it's goofy, right? I made an example. People will hold on to the goofiest things because we've got to have an answer. And so we'll hold on to things that are goofy. And that sometimes falls over into the regions of faith and religion. We, there are people with some pretty goofy things they hold to. I mean, right in our own community. I mean, I don't want to spend a lot of time talking about goofy things, but if you go to Yelm, you're going you're gonna to be around some people who have some pretty goofy concepts about... Um, there are, there are. But not even, you don't even have to go that far. In your own neighborhood, there are probably people that you know that just hold on to some pretty goofy things. We have to have our answer, and so we'll hold on to them. And you know we just, we just, we just want to have the answer, and that's what drives religion. And that's why Easter is so non-religious, there's nothing really religious about it because Easter is, about, is not about trying to explain the unexplainable, trying to answer the unanswerable. In fact, the very first century, back when all of these events of Easter happened, the Jews already had answers to the unanswerable. They already had explanations for the unexplainable. They weren't looking for answers or explanations. Easter is not an attempt to answer a question or explain something. Easter is about an event something that actually happened, which means Easter isn't religious really at all. Christianity um, was birthed, and it, it, was, it was not a movement around somebody's teachings. It wasn't. It, it, it's not a new answer to questions that hadn't been answered before. It's not, it wasn't because a bunch of people decided, hey, let's, let's band together and start a new way of thinking None of that's associated with the birth of Christianity. None of that. And the other thing, um, and, and, you know, the, 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 the birth of Christianity, although it wasn't centered around those things, it, it was born the day something happened on the earth, in a city, that you can actually go buy an airplane ticket and fly there and look at the place tomorrow if you wanted to. It's about an actual event. There's one other thing that's kind of unusual about Easter and, and, um, and the resurrection nobody nobody was expecting a resurrection when you read the stories of Jesus and his followers here's what you're not going to find you're not going to find an example where they all went down on the third day in the morning they held hands in a circle they played guitar and they sang music and finally got to the point of saying you know 10 9 8 7 you know they they thank you blast off you know that's not in the word in fact the the story of of the resurrection is written by jesus followers and you know what they say about themselves after jesus died they said we scattered we lost hope we lost faith none of them none of them were expecting a resurrection and now that you've seen a picture of one of these stones, you realize that's not some casual endeavor just to go ahead and pop that stone over and move it out of the way. I mean, this is not the story of a couple of women and their kids going out for a picnic and saying, hey, why don't we open that up and look inside there? No. In fact, you know, the scripture says that when the, when the apostles heard that, uh, that what had happened, their reaction was this. What? I mean, they were not expecting a resurrection, Luke 24, 12 says, basically it says they were amazed at what had happened. They just weren't expecting this. You'd think that these leaders had been formulating a plan. Okay, things have gone really bad the last few days. Um, Jesus has died, but we can't let this thing die. And um, so, you know, you'd think they had been planning. like No, they lost hope and they scattered. They lost hope and they scattered. And then when he rose... You'd think they would have rallied around that and and at least pretended. They would have said, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We knew it all along. Here, have these balloons. We had these balloons ready. We had T-shirts printed up. Jesus resurrected. All I got was this crummy shirt. No, they didn't do any of that stuff. They didn't expect a resurrection. And by their own declaration, they lost faith. In the Old Testament, I suppose, I mean, it's understandable. In the Old Testament, there's a whole body of teaching there that could be interpreted that death was the actual end. I mean, many of those those people would have been taught that you are born for the glory of God, you live for the glory of God, and you die and goodbye. I mean, that's it. Die and goodbye, it's over. So nobody was expecting a resurrection. Not even his closest followers, even though he had told them he would rise. And so nobody was expecting that. And when they saw that the tomb was empty, they still didn't know what to make of it until Jesus actually appeared to them. Then everything changed. It changed in major ways. These guys had been cowards. They were afraid. They were, uh, on the night that he was, he was hung on the cross... Scripture says, as he was on his way in there, that Peter denied him three times. One of them was to a little girl. He was too afraid to admit to a little girl that he had been with Jesus. These guys had turned into jelly-legged, is there such a word as jelly-legged cowards? Jelly-legged, their legs were going jelly like They were just cowards. They were, they were afraid for their lives. They were hiding in their homes. They were trying to figure out what to do next. And they suddenly became these very, very bold, bold spokespersons. And they started sharing this message. And the interesting thing was their message did not center on the teachings of Jesus. It didn't center on the things he did. It didn't even center on his miracles. Their message centered on the fact that he came out of that grave, on the resurrection. And they just would not stop talking about it. They just would not shut up. Can I say that phrase? They just wouldn't. They kept going on and on. They wouldn't clam up. And the reason Christianity exploded out of the first century, why it spread from Palestine around the world, is, because, is not because of what Jesus taught or even because of what he did. It's because three days after he was crucified, he rose from the grave. <laughs> and as we peek into the book of Acts today, which tells us what happened, you know, immediately after the resurrection, I want you to kind of watch for detail. Because you'll see that these stories are not written like a fable or oral tradition or, um, you know, a fairy tale. This is written by people who were there, who were in that vicinity when all these things happened. And uh, so this is just a few weeks after the resurrection. We pick it up in Acts chapter 3, verse 1. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at 3 in the afternoon. Now a man crippled from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful. Oh yeah, Temple Gate, Beautiful. I know that place. We've had picnics there. My family knows. I know the temple gate called Beautiful very well. Okay, where he was was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. But Peter looked at him and as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. Here, make eye contact. So the man gave him his attention expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Now, anybody walking by at that point and and overhearing that, hearing the name Jesus Christ of Nazareth, they knew exactly what these two guys were talking about. I mean, this had caused quite a stir in the city. So they knew exactly. They go, oh, yeah, wasn't that that guy that crucified? Wasn't there like a really a big storm that day and things got really dark I think I heard something about that. And so they knew exactly, this was not some unknown guy. And what was going on in this conversation was within walking distance of where these events had happened. Verse seven, taking him by the right hand, look at that detail by the right hand, he helped him up and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. Now, which was a bit unusual During the hour of prayer in the temple, people were quiet. They were being respectful of each other. And so it was, and here's this guy hopping and skipping, you know, making a, he's got happy feet. I would have happy feet if it was the first time I ever used them. Verse nine, when all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. They're used to seeing this guy at the top of his head. They walk in the gate. Here's this guy sitting on the ground. I know what the top of your head looks like. That's what your eyes look like. Finally, they're seeing him face to face. He's, he's I know you. Aren't you that? What's the deal? And they see, they see this fruit of this miracle. And, and they're amazed. Verse 11. While the beggar held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished and came running to them in the place called Solom's Columnade. That's another detail. It's a real place. It's, you know, is this really happened? It's if the author is saying, check it out for yourself. Now, um, verse 12, when Peter saw this, he said to them, because now a crowd is getting, uh, gathering around them, men of Israel, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness, we had made this man walk? And now Peter reaches back to what these people knew, what they were taught since they were little boys and little girls, and he says, verse 13, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers. This isn't something new, he's saying, okay? This is not some new religion. And, and we're not trying to start something new here. This is the same God you already know. He's tying now Jesus to the God that they all know. And um, and he's about to start... start talking to them, and he's introduced Jesus' name into this equation. And you might think, you know, okay, so what, where's, he gonna, where's he gonna take it from here? What could he do? There's lots of good things. You know, he, he could say, well, Jesus taught us to love our neighbors, or he, or, or he could have taught, you know, blessed are the peacemakers. And there's a hundred different directions that they could have gone with this, but they didn't do that. He goes right to the issue that is the make it or break it topic. For everything they believe, and then he mashes down on the gas pedal. I love this. Verse 13. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his son, His servant Jesus. You handed him over to be killed, and you disowned him before Pilate, though he had decided to let him go. You disowned the Holy and Righteous One and asked that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. Now, don't miss this part. We are witnesses of this. Here's what Peter and John's message is. We don't simply believe something. We actually saw something. We aren't simply followers of Jesus. We're eyewitnesses to this stuff that happened. The resurrection, we saw it. We're not simply believers of what he taught. We're not simply people moved by his moral example. We're followers and believers in Jesus because we saw him die we saw them bury him bury him in the tomb and we saw him living again he's risen from the dead you want to know what we're about they're saying we're all about a risen savior we're all about a risen savior and all of this that was going on happened within walking distance of calvary walking distance of the tomb within just weeks of when it took place bless that little sweetie How precious is that? I want to hold her, but I'm busy, but later, okay? (laughs) So all of these things are going on, and it's right in the middle of where all of these events had taken place. And these guys are saying, hey, we're not believers in something that was taught. We're telling you what we saw, and we're never going to be the same. That same Peter and John who had cowered in fear when Jesus was crucified suddenly have this kind of new courage, this new boldness and that boldness is not centered around Jesus' teachings. And it's not centered around his personality. It's centered around an event that we celebrate on Easter. And they're not trying to explain the unexplainable. They're not trying to answer the unanswerable. They're not trying to launch a new religion. In fact, they very clearly tie him back to the same God that these people have been worshiping for centuries. Because something had happened and changed everything. He had risen from the dead story continues. It's later that same day, Acts 4, starting in um, verse 1. The priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees, the group that thinks that once you die, it's over with, came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the temple. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. These guys just wouldn't be quiet about the resurrection, okay? And, and you know, <clears throat> their opponents who didn't want to hear it, they're saying, hey, you know, Jesus taught about... Taxes, do that. Or Jesus taught about you know, love, do that one. Or t- tell the one where, the, where the, f- the son leaves, but his father loves him anyway. Do one of those. And those guys are saying, no way, you're trying to change the subject. None of those things are the point. The point is the resurrection. Verse 3, they seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message, what message? The message of the resurrection. Many who heard about the resurrection believed And the number of men, in this case, the tradition was to count the men. So this number does not include women and children. The men grew to about 5,000. Do you know why Christianity catapulted out of the first century? Do you know why Christianity moved around the world from Palestine and, and has passed through all of these centuries? It's not simply because of the teachings of Jesus. It's because in Jerusalem... Within walking distance of the events themselves, thousands and thousands of Jewish people who were witnesses of it chose to believe because of what they had seen. And that included people who were responsible for convicting him and crucifying him. It wasn't because of the teachings of Jesus. It was because they believed he actually rose from the dead. That day they believed that Jesus was the resurrected Savior, the Messiah. And that's powerful because that does explain something that's unexplainable and it has nothing to do with religion and everything to do with history. Why are we a couple thousand years later, you know, celebrating these accounts, changed by the Spirit of God? It's not simply because Jesus came from God, because he was a wonderful teacher, because he taught life-changing. Other people did those things. It's because he rose from the dead. Okay, so the story concludes, verse 5. The next day the rulers, elders, and teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Now listen to the detail here. It's almost as if these authors are saying, hey, check this out. These names that we're going to read now, you can Google them. Okay, these are, you can check them out yourself. Verse 6. Annas the high priest was there, and so were Caiaphas, John, and Alexander, and the other men of the high priest's family. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. By what power or what name did you do this? When they say by what name or power, they're talking about healing the lame man. How did you do this? Whose name did you invoke? You know, they're saying, you know, we want to know if this miracle you did was a legitimate, appropriate miracle. This 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 kindness thing you did, this act of kindness, um, you know, and they're trying to shift the attention from the topic. You know, whose power did you leverage? for this random act of kindness. What did you do? How did you pull this off? Verse 8, Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, If we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a cripple and are asked how he was healed, in other words, if the focus of this conversation is an act of kindness, if the focus of this conversation is you want to get in on this and and and." franchise it and get it out there and figure it out. Or if the focus of this conversation is why we spent the night in jail, I'm really glad you asked that question, they're thinking. I'm going to explain to you exactly what happened. Verse 10, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom, by the way, you crucified. Have we covered that? but whom God raised from the dead, this man stands before you healed. At the risk of their life and their liberty and everything that they held dear, they just would not stop talking about the resurrection. Not the things Jesus did, not the things Jesus taught, but his resurrection from the grave. Now, and their point, and their point, other than that this historical thing had happened, their point, for those of you who get so frustrated with us Christians, because we're so narrow. Because when we pray over things, we're not content to just say, you know, in God's name. We have to always throw the name of Jesus in. We have to say, in Jesus' name. And because you think we're intolerant, and we're not, or you think we're angry, and we're not all angry. There are some that are angry, but we're not all angry. Okay? For those of you that just think we're too narrow, And why can't we just be more open-minded? Here's why. Verse 12. Salvation, these guys said, under the Spirit, under the power of the Holy Spirit. Salvation, they said, is found in no one else. Oh, but that's so narrow. Hold on a second. Pete's not done here yet. For there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. Here's their point. Here's their deal. The reason they can't clam up, the reason they can't stop talking about the resurrection, the reason they keep bringing this up is that no one has ever done this before. If you'll go ahead and give us a list, you know, they could have said, if you want to go ahead and give us a list of all the people in history who have made a prediction about their death, and their resurrection, and then they've pulled it off, okay, we'll put all those names on a list and we'll randomly pull a name off there and we'll just go ahead and put our trust in one of them because, frankly, I'd like to resurrect someday. This is Terry talking. I want to resurrect someday. I, I, I want to see loved ones someday. I, I, I want to know what happens after. I, I want to know those things. I, I would like some confidence in what I believe about God in heaven. And no one else has ever brought us that kind of confidence. No one else has ever been able to predict their own death and their resurrection but Jesus Christ. So consequently, there is no other name under heaven or on the earth by which we have the confidence in our relationship with God other than Jesus. And he didn't just simply come to the earth to shape us, but he came also to prove his authority over life by overcoming death. So Peter and John say the point of the story, the point of healing this lame man, the reason we can't stop talking about Jesus is that he's one of a kind. He's in a category all of his own. There's no other name that brings with it the weight, the gravity, the promise, the peace, the assurance, except the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. That's why these guys who had been cowering in fear found this boldness to come right into the epicenter of Judaism and proclaim that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. So here's how the whole thing ends. Verse 13. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. They were so amazed by their boldness and their courage. And that's why the resurrection is such a big deal. That's why Easter isn't about religion. It's about an event pretty big one because it changed, that event changed everything. And here's the best part about this as it relates to you and as it relates to me. Did you know that that very same invitation that Peter and John offered in the temple that day, 2,000 years ago, that very same invitation that over 5,000 men responded to by saying, we believe that Jesus of Nazareth really is the Son of God and that he rose from the dead. That very same invitation that's been given for the last couple thousand years by pastors and by missionaries and by fathers to their children and mothers to their children and friends to friends and bosses to employees and employees to bosses, that very same invitation is still available today. And not just because the teachings of Jesus, although they're wonderful and they're powerful, and not just because of his moral he lived so well but because of an event because of his resurrection it confirmed that he simply didn't, didn't just have his life taken away but that he gave it away freely he laid it down not for his own sin but for yours and for mine and you know anybody can claim anything they want to and then associate it with their death but it's only when a person actually, literally raises themselves from the dead that they confirm they have true authority over life. Life now and life after we die. I want you just to just take a minute and um, let the Holy Spirit minister to you over or as you hear this song. You particularly on Easter services, we end our celebration by doing the only thing that we can think is the right thing to do and that's to give people who have never embraced the name of Jesus, who've never allowed their faith to wrap itself around the love of God who loves them, to do it. Because we believe that as exclusive and as narrow as this seems to be, We believe that there is no other name under heaven by which you must be saved. So what I'd like to do is give an opportunity for you to transfer your trust, transfer your trust to say, I'm no longer depending on my goodness to make me right with God. That's an impossible quest. No one can can be successful doing that. I'm no longer going to trust in my church attendance to get me to God. I'm never, no longer going to trust in giving to get me to God. I'm no longer going to trust in my prayers or, or my attempts to be good, my intentions. I'm transferring my trust to the name of one who is trustable, one simple person, and that's Jesus Christ. You see, there's nothing religious about Easter. It's all about an event, an event that changes everything. Now, as I've been talking about this, if there's something in your soul that's maybe a little bit tensioned and you feel like, wow, I don't want to join a church, I'm not asking you to join a church. And that thing in you is going, I, I know there's something to this. I need to make, I need to have peace with God. I need to know if I die tomorrow, what eternity holds for me, and there's a way you can do that, and that is to establish your relationship with God based upon what he did for you rather than what you think you can do for him. There's no other name given to men whereby we must be saved other than the name of Jesus Christ. So if you're feeling that in your heart, what that is, that's the Holy Spirit. It's not your conscience. That's the Holy Spirit talking to you saying, come on, I want to save you. I really believe that, and the word says that the Lord loves all of us and doesn't want anyone to perish. That's why he sent his son. It's almost as if Jesus stands in front of the gates of hell and he says, no, do not go in there. And you have to walk past Jesus to get into hell. You have to do it intentionally. It's a free choice and it's a free gift. I encourage you just to settle this once and for all with the Lord. If you've never done it, probably most people in this room have. But I'm going to pray a prayer I'm not going to call anybody up up here and embarrass you or single you out but I'm going to pray a prayer and if you want to respond and get this right with the Lord this is the time to do it it's something that you just pray and, and uh, I'll lead the prayer you can pray it in your heart you don't have to say it out loud or you can say it out loud like some people do you can change the words and make it more comfortable for you the point is that you transfer your trust you choose it and you just it's the decision you make to receive the gift to receive the gift of the empty tomb to receive that gift and I just want to say also to you the word says that if you believe with your heart and confess with your mouth you'll be saved that doesn't mean you stand in front of a church and confess it but you should tell someone there's something about testifying about it with your mouth that that makes it complete there's something, something that the Lord knows about us that says believe it in your heart and confess it with your mouth so tell somebody and do it today if that's you so let me pray with you Heavenly Father, I believe that Jesus is your son. I believe that when he died, he died for the sins of the world, which also includes me. I believe he died for my sins and I receive him as my savior. I transfer all of my trust to him, all of my confidence to him. I'm no longer trusting in my background or the fact that my parents took me and had me baptized. I no longer trust in my church attendance or my prayers. I trust in Jesus alone to save me. Lord, forgive me of my sin. Receive me into your family. Thank you, Lord, of the assurance and peace that can be mine now forever. These things I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now listen, if you've opened your heart, if you've made that...